Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode number 246 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Philip Morgan. Howdy. And Jonathan Stark. Hello. And I'm Ruben Lerner. And this week, we are going to talk about continuous improvement. So the basic idea is we've all been consulting for a while, um, and we'd like to think we get better at it. We like to think that everyone wants to get better at it over time. So the question we're asking, and hopefully answering this week, is how do we get better? Or how do we try to get better? And how do we get feedback on that? And the like. So, guys, <laughs> how do you get better? <laughs> or do you even not need to improve? I mean, come on. Well, uh, I'm going to throw that question right back at you, Reuven, because <laughs> one of the things yeah. you said that made me think that this would be a good topic we could explore is you said your your course, your training course uh, has been getting better and sh- what, shorter or fewer somethings, and that really intrigued me. So I, maybe you could start with that because I, I think we'll branch out from there. Have you ever felt like you're falling behind or that the programming world is moving so fast that it's impossible to keep up? Then there's the issue of knowing where to go to make sure you're up to date. Well, the answer is to join a community dedicated to discussing the latest in Angular. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if you got adventures in Angular all day? Well, you can, kind of. We've set up a Slack team for adventures in Angular that you can join. And that means you can connect with our listeners and guests on a platform you're most likely already using. Plus, we've set up a Keeping Current channel that pulls stories from across the web to help you know what people are talking about. And coming soon, we'll be holding monthly webinars and roundtable video chats to connect with experts in the community and with each other. So come join us at adventuresinangular.com slash slack. So yeah, so I mean, I guess it's been like a year and a half now that I've been doing training the vast majority of my time. And part of the advantages this gives me is that um, uh, the things that I, the classes that I teach the most often, I can try little experiments and iterate and try to improve. And so it's often not obvious to me how much of cha- how many things have changed until I sort of look back and say, oh yeah, I used to never do this and now I always do this. So one rule that I, that I even told people about is that every year, Every year I try to get rid of content and increase the number of exercises. And when I think back to the first intro Python course I taught, it's like, it's laughable how much I tried to squeeze into those. I think it was even three days. Um, I mean, I was trying to do all the data structures and functions and functional programming and objects. And, oh, let's also do regular expressions and threads and processes. And... (laughs) And it's like, I can't believe they invited me back. Uh, Luckily, they did. And over time, I said, okay, regular expressions has to go. Uh, Because the people who got it after an hour or two were the ones who already knew it. And everyone else was just sort of, you know, their their brains were oozing out of their ears trying to figure out what was going on. Um, And so every time, and that's been the amazing thing for me, every time I reduce content and increase exercises, my scores go up. People like it more. So it lets me dig into topics more. It lets me ensure that they have a a better feel for it and they're really internalizing it. And then like the business advantage to me is the stuff I don't do in my intro course, they can go into the advanced course, right? Because it's been bumped out. Um, The other thing I've been doing is I basically have gotten rid of slides in my Python courses. I I send them to people. I email the people at PDFs of the slides and they can follow along and I encourage them to do that. But I almost never show them most of the time, I'm just live coding. I talk and I type at the same time, and I sometimes get up and you know, wave my hands or draw things. And that seems to really stand out. Um, but it stands out not only like differentiating me from other lectures, but also in that I have to keep them engaged. And so I'm always looking for stories, jokes, analogies, demos that can really wow them and keep them interested. Um, and over time, it's gotten better and better. So I'm always like on the lookout for stuff I can do for that, like better exercises, better demos, better analogies. And I guess like the feedback that I get is I guess it works, but it's something you do have to work at and think about, right? It's not something that just happens automatically. So here's my question. This is, uh, I'm almost hoping that like I've done the exact same thing and I'm almost hoping that by understanding why you did it, I can figure out why I did it. Cause I, I can't, 
I, I have some theories about why I did it. Um, anyway, here's the question. Why was the first, was version one so packed, like overpacked with uh, content? Oh, um, I think it was a combination of two things. First of all, at that point I was working with a training company, and I'm positive that they showed me the syllabus that they expected me to cover. And I was like, okay, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it was also, I sort of figured, you know, this is like the, the classic mistake an instructor makes. If this stuff is easy for me and obvious to me, then it must be obvious to everyone else. And all I have to do is tell it to them, and they'll understand it, right? Um, and so it's so incredibly obvious to me now that when you tell people about, I don't know, uh, inheritance in objects, if they've seen it before, great. But if they haven't, they're going to be totally confused and they're going to need a lot of examples and be walked through it. And even then, it's not going to be so obvious. So trying to stuff lots of information in there is great for your talking, but terrible for their listening and learning. Mm-hmm. There's one yeah. thing I, I feel like it's worth pointing out is that uh, – you, you use the term, you know, I did this and it got better and I did this and it got better and I did this and it got better. You actually have hard data that it's better. So it, and, and better means more effective. So it's not that you're just making changes for the sake of making changes or making changes, you know, just pulling stuff out because you want to make your job easier. You have a feedback loop that's happening where you can tell that the changes, you can tell which changes you're making are positive changes for your desired outcome. And without that, you'd be, you know, it's like you driving a car with no hands on the wheel or, you know, a windshield you can't see out of. You're getting feedback and you can kind of, you can kind of like steer the, the curriculum in a way that's, that's going to increase scores or get you better results or happier, uh, better client satisfaction, that sort of thing. I think that's a, that's gotta be a, critical aspect of this. You have tons of feedback. Right. And there, I would say there are two kinds of feedback. One is the hard data for sure. Like when I see these questionnaires uh, and the surveys come back at the ends of courses from, from clients, uh, then I always look through what they have to say. I mean, the, the numbers are nice, but the comments are really where the gold is. And that's where, what tells me sort of where people felt it could have been better or what I did wrong. The other thing is just sort of looking at them, right? If I give this exercise that I like, it used to be, and I really, it's like laughable that I think this, I used to talk to them about objects for about two or three hours. And then I give them one exercise, which wrapped everything up. I was like, okay, now we've done our object oriented exercise. Let's move on. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and, and no wonder. Now, granted, most of these are experienced programmers, right? So they've come from other languages, but even so, right? It's just like nonsense. And some of them would get it. I'd be like, oh, this is great. But I would notice that some of them would be having problems and maybe if I were to break it down. Um, the other thing that has affected me is I tell people this all the time. The best thing I ever did for my teaching is learn Chinese. Because so many times my teacher will say, okay, here's how this grammar pattern works. She will give me some examples and she'll say, now you, and I'll be unable to do it. And she'll be like, okay, let me try from a different perspective. And so that has really like slammed into me the idea that just because you hear and just because you see examples, it does not mean you're able to generate it yourself. And so breaking it down to little, little parts and making people take those baby steps is a huge improvement over how I used to do things and also lets me identify where people are having problems and answer questions. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's really, the Chinese thing is really interesting. It's kind of like, you know, when I'm, I'm always bashing hourly billing and I say to people, go hire some, you know, you, you love hourly billing (laughs) so much, go hire someone by the hour and see how you like it. You're not going to like it. So it's kind of like put yourself on the other side of the table and, and, and it makes you much more empathetic to, you know, when you're, when you switch back to your normal mode, it makes you much more empathetic and sensitive to the, um, you know, the receptiveness of the students. Absolutely. And I should add, so my newest course is uh, data science and machine learning. And I feel like with that one, I'm where I was with a Python training like two years ago. So I'm using slides and my demos are not that crisp and my exercises are not that amazing. Like people give me good scores for the course, but I know it could be much better. And the the comments also point out it needs to be like sharper. So I'm definitely spending time trying to turn on that. And part of that is I also know it just takes like 20 times of teaching a course until it's really where I want it to be. Um, So it's definitely better than it was, but I still see room for much, much more improvement there. 
Um, but that self-awareness is certainly useful for me. That raises two questions for me. One is how, I think everybody has a somewhat different way of dealing with this. How do you uh, ship something that you know is far less good than it could be? Um, because it's still better than nothing, and it's better than, I think, a lot of the other stuff out there. Right? Like, just because it's not up to my very high standards, um, and just because I think it can be better doesn't mean it's currently bad. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know that people, like, people have emailed me after taking the data science course, and they've said, wow, you know, thanks to this, I was able to do such and such analysis, and I couldn't have done it before. Right? So I know that people are benefiting from it. Now, the first time that I taught it, um, everyone knew, I mean, I taught it for Cisco, but they were also very nice. And they said, we know it takes three times until a course really hits home. Mm-hmm. We're willing to partner with you on this and let you sort of experiment on us because, again, like, we need someone to teach this. Mm-hmm. So the first time was laughably bad. Uh, and I said, we got to move it from two days to three days. So we moved it to three days long. And then it was better. And then the third time, it was finally like, starting to hit its stride. And every time since then, it's gotten like, you know, 5%, 10% better. Um, so I'm, not, I'm trying not to sell them like a bad bill of goods. And I worked for, I pulled a lot of all-nighters for the months before I did it the first time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's not like, you know, it's at an 8, it's not at a 10. And I'd really like to do a 10. Yeah, right. Well, I, I think the difference between an 8 and a 10 is is bigger than 20%. Yes, yes, for sure. Um, if that makes any sense. Like, you know, the difference between 30% and uh, 50% is maybe not as big as the difference between 80 and 100. So how do you how do you do the improvement? Like, you're getting this input, this feedback that is qualitative. You're looking at people's faces as you're talking. You can sense, like, the, the feel of the room as you move through the content, right? And then... Right you're getting this quantitative data in the form of satisfaction surveys or whatever they do at the end of the class. How do, how do you translate that into, I mean, you don't rewrite the whole course every time, right? Like I really am uh, curious how exactly you turn that into improved content for the next iteration. So I still write my course as slides, even if I don't show them necessarily. Uh-huh. And that helps me both to give them material and for me to organize my thoughts and I break my course typically into many different, I use keynotes, so like different keynote documents. So like my, so my data science course, that's three days long. I think I use about 15 different keynote documents and each one is like a topic that I'll do at once. So first of all, breaking it up forces me to thicken it up because if I want to say like, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, machine learning algorithms, Right, so if I just have two slides on that, that's not enough for a slide deck. So I feel like, okay, I got to find more about this. And I'm sure there is more, and so I go out and I start reading, and I'll sometimes even watch. I'll a lot of times watch online lectures and read blog posts and read books, and I'll really try to sort of steep myself in the material and say, okay, what can I distill from this that's really interesting and useful for people, um, and what sort of things can I do on my own computer? And so I'll try that out, and I'll see how it works. And sometimes people like just this pastime when I taught the machine learning class just like a few weeks ago in Shanghai. So I, I, I gave a, uh, an exercise, and it turns out that the file I gave them was corrupt. Now, of course, it was China, so they didn't tell me until 15 minutes into the exercise. When someone said, can you help me with this? I looked over and said, oh, this file is bad. Is anyone else having this problem? And everyone said, oh, yeah, us too. So fine. So, <laughs> <laughs> this is why it's good to teach in Israel, where, like, they'll yell at you within the first 30 seconds. You don't need to worry about that. Um, so but, now we know the truth. Ruben's installing Trojans directly in China. <laughs> <laughs> Insurgent. But, like, once I saw how to get around, it wasn't exactly corruption, it was, like, hard to read the file. I was like, wow, this will be a great exercise. Give them a real-world file, have them go through it. And now I have what I think is, like, a fantastic exercise for that topic because it hits a number of different points. So, yes, it was a problem then, but now I've, you know, come out of it well. And I sort of was able to identify, I think, something that will give people that aha moment or that moment of satisfaction, which I'm always looking for. Uh, but finding those takes time. And I'm constantly scouring on a whole bunch of mailing lists about, say, data science for the sole reason of I'm trying to find good examples, good data sets, good anecdotes to, to share with people. Yeah, it takes a while to find that stuff. It's not just a question of sitting down and being smart and, and emptying your brain onto the slides or the, the repo or whatever. You really got to hunt and 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 when you do, like, you know, when you find stuff, you're like, oh, this is going to be perfect. Right. Right. 
Right. So, so find that, and you don't want it to be like too big and too hard and too this and too that. So, so finding that sweet spot is hard. But so, so I'm constantly like sort of looking at people and seeing how they answer and see their interactions. And so I think now, for example, with this data science course, I think the first two days are great. Like I really am very happy with them. And so that means, okay, now I just got to concentrate on the third day and bring that up to speed. And every time I've been working on it, because I've been really concentrating that third day for the last, say, two, three times I've been teaching it, I'm teaching again next week, and I'm planning to take two days just before that to find better exercises for that third day. And I think then it's going to be like, you know, an eight and a half or a nine. And I'll see how that goes. And it's like constantly, constantly iterating. And it means that I'm going into, I'm not rewriting the whole course, but I'm going to individual slide decks of that, you know, 10 or 15 and say, okay, where can I tweak this to make it better? Or what is totally useless here that I can throw out in favor of better stuff? Well, so to Philip's point earlier about the, that last, you know, uh, 10 or 20% of going from an, an eight to a 10, it's uh, increasing, you know, it's like a, a parabolic curve or hyperbolic curve. It gets like c- crazy hard to get, sort of get to that perfection point. It's like approaching infinity, you know, but I'm curious. I know it's, you've said a couple of times that you feel like it needs to be this way and that it, it'll be uh, the way you want it. Do you think that the level of effort and the late nights and the, you know, the 48 hour preparation before the next course to kind of tidy up that third day, will there be a kind of commensurate increase in the customer satisfaction or is this more some, or could you, do you feel like you could kind of leave it the way it is and still make tons of money from selling the course? I could leave it the way it is and I would make money and people would continue to order it. Mm-hmm. However, however, first of all, I wouldn't feel satisfied because I, I feel like also there are questions that people are asking. When, when a lot of people ask in different courses the same question, I know, okay, I've got to include this in the course. There's still sort of a few too many of those. Also, when I give them exercises, I always then solve it in front of them. And when I solve it in front of them and I stumble too much, then I feel like, okay, this is bad. I should be able to show this like super fluidly. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing is that um, I feel like once I get it to this like super terrific level of perfection, then I can start to you know expand the course, move in new directions. Like there are topics that I want to address that I don't want to touch yet because I want to first get this first part really right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also feel like okay, maybe some of these people maybe they'll invite me back, maybe they won't to do an advanced course. But if I wow them in the basic course then I have the opportunity to sell more courses and advanced ones in the future. As opposed to, well, he gave us an intro, but like, what does he really know about this stuff? We're not going to invite him back for something advanced. So, the, so presume, you know, it's, it's perhaps a uh, sales tool is the wrong way. You know, it, 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 perhaps it will lead to increased sales. If the students are just like gaga raving about, Oh man, this was so great. That's right. Like when I was in Shanghai, I taught the data science course twice. And my guess is that one of those companies really wants me to come back. And the other one, maybe yes, maybe no. Um, but, but you, you think that because the student's reaction or the, the, your, your contact, um, the student's reactions, like both of them personally, which is hard to read in China, I'll admit. Um, and the, the, uh, the, like the scores and the comments, uh, on the scores, Again, like it wasn't bad. It was like you know eight out of ten. So like right. I'm not. It's not like you know I I did an abysmal job, but I feel like if it had been a nine or a ten, then they would have been like, wow, everyone in our department needs to take this. Please, please, please do that. Like I know there's a company in Beijing where like they have a waiting list, and like some companies here in Israel, they have a waiting list for me to do my intro Python courses, right? Because there's the reputation. So that's that's great. Like that's what I'm aiming for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, makes it takes time, sense. right? Like it, it just, it takes a lot of time and a lot of digging, a lot of experimenting and saying, does this work? Does this not work? It's, it's a lot. I always say it's a lot like a one man show or like a stand up comedy routine. Yeah, totally. Right. Where I want to sort of like, I'm putting on and the more fluid it is, the better. And I can also gauge the reactions. Like you know, today I told a joke. I mean, I'm always telling jokes, but sometimes they're actually good jokes. Um, <laughs> but and today, like I, I, everyone reacted exactly the way I wanted, right? They laughed at exactly the right point. I was like, wow, that is just a great feeling. And if I can get them to do that for four days, like I'm hit, I've hit it out of the park and it's great. 
but I also get the understanding of like how these stand-up comics, you know, they start at the small clubs, they start with their friends, and they start like little by little, and only after honing their material for a year or two or more do they really hit the big leagues, if that. Mm. I, I think there's, I mean, we're talking about training, and I know I'm super curious about Philip's new course and like how this, how you're reacting to this, but I kind of want to put a bookmark to talk about how this would apply to freelancing where you're doing stuff that's a little bit more, you know, if you're doing a web design or, you know, you stuff that's a little bit more typing semicolons or, or Photoshop jockey stuff, because I think, I think it does apply. For sure. Mm-hmm. Look, it's, it's like, I, I've, I think I've gotten better because I followed procedures, right? And everyone I know who's successful at freelancing says, it's not like necessarily your knowledge. It's do you have good procedures in place? Can you like, systematize everything. I mean, you guys are like masters at this. And so, at least as far as I can tell. So, um, so that I think is where it comes from, like making your systems better. How do you find your clients? How do you weed out bad clients? How do you talk to them at the beginning? Like, I mean, Jonathan, you have your whole why conversation, right? It probably took you a long time to hone that down until you figured out what you say and when and how. Yeah. It's funny you put it like that. I I wouldn't, I'd say, I would say that I am not, system I, I don't have systems in place in terms of automation but i've got a playbook so mm-hmm. like i've got like uh you know a script almost a, a bunch of lines that i will in various situations i'll just reach into the bag and pull out the line for this particular situation and sometimes it's a joke like you said like sometimes the situation you know like prospects kind of like getting to the point where they're a little bit they're like oh would you just you know they're they want to know how much it's going to cost or something like that. And it's too soon to know it's too soon to have that conversation. So I'll just lighten the mood with this joke that always works or, or whatever. And, uh, it, but it's not, yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I thought that was, it was interesting. It's not a, I don't feel like it's a system. I certainly don't have anything automated. You know, Reuven, um, there was a guy on my email list who kind of <clears throat> gently chided me for, Neglecting to talk about more um, how when you when you pick something and you do it over and over again, aka you, you define a focus for your business and then you you work on that over time, which is what you've done with training. Um, it's what I'm constantly advocating people do at, at some level in their business. When you do that, uh, this guy was saying, you know, the benefits on the operation side of things are pretty significant. I'm always talking about the marketing benefits and really do, I, I agree with this guy, and neglect to talk about the uh, operations benefits. When you are not moving from training to consulting to staff augmentation, that's almost like running three different businesses. And as generalists, that's kind of what we tend to do is, uh, I mean, I think unknowingly where we do it for other reasons, but when you stop doing that, there really is an, a sort of efficiency benefit to how you operate your business. So you're, you know, you face a narrower range of problems and you can become, I think, more effective at solving those problems, whether it's just how you, maybe you don't have to have as many templates that you maintain. It could be something very simple like that. Or it could be um, you just kind of know what prospective clients are going to say before they even say it. That's a huge advantage. Not that you're trying to take advantage of them, but you just, you're not surprised anymore by what they say. You're in a position to help them immediately. Right. Right. You're like, let me just save us all some time here. (laughs) You guys are probably seeing this, this, and this. And if that's the case, just nod your heads. Okay. (laughs) You know, you can uh, present yourself much more as an expert because you actually are. Right. My, my students are constantly amazed when I give them an exercise and uh, they say, oh, it's not working. Uh, I get such and such an error. I'm like, oh, did you forget a colon on this line? And I don't even have to go to their computer. <laughs> and they say, wow, <laughs> do that. Like, you're not the first person to have this error. And I've been teaching <laughs> Yeah. And and I know for some people that sounds like uh, some kind of death sentence to have that much predictability, but uh, just trust me as you get older, uh, you start to appreciate, appreciate it because then you can apply, 
your, uh, you know, kind of decreasing supply of uh, energy to more important problems than, right. um, than being creative 24 seven. Yeah. No, ma- no matter how, how much you've got your lines down or you're focused into a particular uh, niche or what, or whatever, there's every client is different. Every situation is different because there's just so much complexity involved in almost any one of these situations that, that you can kind of like all, all the boilerplate stuff, like who wants to, do, you know, you don't want to write another login system, just install the gem. Who cares? <laughs> you know, you, you don't want to like be reinventing, you're reinventing the wheel. Like if you are, if you are constantly shifting gears between types of clients and types of industries mm-hmm. You get this sugar high of like, wow, I'm, I'm like, this is like new territory and fun new problems. And then that burns out in about a week tops. And then you're like, Ugh, I have to, you know, I'm just slogging through this, this like, I feel like I'm learning everything from scratch, reinventing the wheel. And, you know, it'd be so much cooler to have all of the simple stuff down pat and be able to, really just focus on the high impact stuff. I actually, that's, uh, there's a connection here. I hear people a lot say um, sort of frustrated freelancers who have been in the business long enough to recognize this pattern where they feel like, you know, they're doing a good job and they're delivering the results that they're promising. And maybe even they're billing by the hour and, and nailing their estimates and everybody's more or less happy, but they start to recognize that they're, they could have a much bigger impact on the organization, but the organization, their client doesn't view them in that way. And they really, and and I hear this all the time. I want to be involved earlier in the process, you know, in the more in the strategic phase where people are making high, high level people are making decisions about what they're going to do, not how they're going to do it. And a lot of freelancers are after you've got some experience under your belt, um, they start to think, Oh man, you know, I'm doing what they said, but they picked the wrong thing. You know, it really should have been done differently from the outset. How do I get into those conversations? And I mean, the answer I think is, is that you specialize in a particular vertical or, or you've got the language to get yourself into those meetings. You know, you, you understand how to present yourself in a way, whether it's in your marketing materials or the suit jacket you wear that are going to get you into those meetings to be able to have that impact by addressing, uh, by being involved earlier in the process. You know, one of the ways that happens, I can tell you from firsthand experience, because I've, in the last three months, I've had numerous conversations where when when I'm speaking with a prospective, uh, you know, positioning accelerator program client or whatever, they, they essentially tell me we're bought into your uh, ideas about this. We need help with implementation. So I was there through my book or through my email list marketing having a sort of conversation with them. I mean, I, I wasn't physically there, uh, but I was there exerting influence <laughs> through, through these ideas that I, uh, you know, kind of project out into the world in various ways. So I, I, that exact thing does happen. And it, and sometimes you don't even have to be there. I'm not saying that everybody is going to have some original idea about, you know, software architecture, for example, but uh, that's one of the ways it happens at least. Mm-hmm. So this all kind of kicked off by Philip talking about uh, redoing the positioning course. Well, not exactly, but yeah, yeah. You, you, you're queuing me up to talk about that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm genuinely curious. We haven't talked about it at all. I'm super curious and you've been working on it for a long time. So I know. Oh my gosh. Um, I should look, but I'm kind of uh, horrified to look like what my initial estimate was for finishing the content. It was probably me thinking back in December. Oh yeah. Just another couple of weeks and I'll wrap this up in, you know, early January. And, uh, here we are on, what's the date today? Uh, March 21st. And I just finished it up this weekend. So <laughs> that's my estimating ability in a nutshell right there. <laughs> anyway, um, so it's not redoing it. It's, it's the first version, but 
the reason I was so curious uh, with Ruben's story about iterating this training course was because I'm facing something very similar. So back in the fall of uh, 2016, uh, I worked with a consultant to put together a, a plan for building an online course about positioning. The idea is that uh, my book, The Positioning Manual, is a nice sort of uh, recipe book with uh, three recipes in it. And uh, the positioning course would be a, a much more hand-holding uh, training video on executing one of those recipes, one of those three recipes. So that's how it fits in and how it's not just a recapitulation of this book. I um, slogged through creating the content. You know, distractions came up. Things prevented me from making progress as fast as I wanted. And one of the things that slowed me down was this nagging feeling the whole time of like, um, wow, this, I know that this could be better if dot, 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 right? If I had more time, if I just scrapped this version and started over with, you know, some new nuance of what I've uh, seen out in the world or learned or whatever, right? Like it really, it really, I mean, I guess in a way it was kind of like a waterfall software project, (laughs) which I know is going to horrify a lot of, a lot of folks out there. Um, (laughs) But I just, I mean, I didn't know any way to do anything like this in an agile fashion. It just, it didn't seem to fit that. It, It was a, you know, a group of content that needed to be planned uh, created videos recorded um, stuff put into this crazy drip automation sequence that I'm using to deliver it. All these things had to happen. And I just didn't feel like I had the ability to revise it as I went. So anyway, just uh, kind of put a bow on it uh, on Sunday over the weekend. And it's, it's now out there and, and it, it's done. And I'm already thinking about how I can improve, improve it. Mm-hmm. Because uh, a couple things, as I was building, I was selling it. <laughs> I've already sold, uh, I think the total now is over $6,000 worth of this course. Oh, so nice. Yeah, so I pre-sold it as I was building it, which was uh, fine. Uh, I was very clear that people were buying something that was under construction. So I've already got feedback. I'm already seeing where people are, um, you know, where I've screwed up in in like using this uh, one plugin to deliver some quiz quizzes and it had some issues that I didn't know about until people actually used it at greater scale than just me using it. So anyway, I, I have uh, ideas about continuously improving this. And so I, I plan to, it's, it's tempting to kind of run off and focus on the next thing. You know, I have ideas for what the next thing are. But I know that I need to sort of budget for continuous improvement. Otherwise, just like Reuven, I'm going to be disappointed because I know what, like the potential to me is greater than what exists right now. And um, and it also has some flaws that need to be fixed. You know, they're small flaws, but... I mean, I'm aware of the flaws. It has bugs. In other words, it, it shipped yeah, with bugs. Yeah, I was going to say it's got bugs, right? <laughs> yeah. So th- that's what I was hinting at when I talked about, you know, I, I also have a sort of continuous improvement story that's unfolding. Um, I mean, so, so, for, I'm, curi- I'm curious. Then, like, the people who get your first version, because when I do teaching, it's, it's all frontal, right? So it's, it's done. But in your case, in theory at least, Right, like if it's an online course or a drip campaign, you can send it to them again, where they mm-hmm. can do it again. Are you planning to offer that uh, as you change things or improve things? Are you looking to expand your skills in mobile development? Have an idea for the next Angry Birds app? Then you need to check out iOS Remote Conf, produced by the same team that brings you your favorite devchat.tv podcasts like Ruby Rogues and iFreaks. Join us for two days of jam-packed fun and learning streamed to you live May 17th and 18th. Go check it out at iosremoteconf.com. Oh, so, okay, so what I, like, say to people who, previous customers, um... You know, here's the change log. Here's the new version. Click here if you want to go through it again. Yeah, like I mean, that that would be certainly one one easy way to do it, mm-hmm. one possible way to do it. I could totally do that. 
I, um, I, I don't know whether I will or not. It's, I think it, it depends on the nature of the changes. I, I feel like some of the big changes in how I, uh, teach about positioning and, and help people move through the process are, have already happened. You know, there's like some big language changes that have happened along the way. The realization that a lot of people, let's say 80% of people need to start at a very sort of, uh, small degree of change so that it's not overwhelming to them, et cetera. So a lot of those things are there, but I think there probably are some surprises as well. I mean, I'm really inspired by how you have moved away from overloading people with theory, which is my tendency to, um, and, and more towards application. I think that's where a lot of the improvement will be. Let's find new ways to kind of build these skills that you're going to have to use. I mean, the thing that's different is positioning is, is reflexive. Like, I'm not, I don't think anybody's taking my position course because they want to become a positioning expert. They're, <laughs> they're taking it because they want to improve their own business. And so all the exercises are about them at the end of the day. And that's one thing that is kind of weird and different. Like, I, I don't have a lot to draw from in terms of examples of how other people do that kind of training. <laughs> It's, it's in some ways like therapy. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so much like that that uh, I feel like sometimes I should have a license to do what I do. <laughs> <laughs> I say that all the time. There should, be a, there should be an AMA for software developers anyway. Mm-hmm. So, so this is super interesting. So uh, two very different examples, but both training I think they're both, it's fair to call them both training. It's like two, you know, Ruben's definitely training people and, and this is a class. So they're like sort of a teacher student uh, relationship. So what for, for people who are listening that aren't in a teacher student relationship, but are in more of a, you know, I'm the web guy for this animal rescue or whatever, you know, I'm an illustrator or I do photography or, you know, I freelance doing these various things. I, you know, not to strain the, the connection, but I think there's, there is one along the lines of like the, the thing that you, you need to get better at what you do first is to know what you're trying to make better. Right. Like, mm-hmm. like Ruben clearly has a, you know, and I know this from standing up in front of people too, you know, on a second by second basis when the energy disappears and you, you need, you did something wrong. Like it happens in real time constantly. And, and the idea is to keep that engagement really high and you can feel when it starts to dip and do something to make it go back up. So, but in Philip's scenario, it's a little, I'm, I'm sure you're going to, you know, you mentioned quizzes. I'm sure there are other interactive elements that w- will allow you to measure engagement and success. So for a freelancer that's maybe engaged to improve, like I said, uh, an animal rescues marketing presence on the web. I think there's a, I think there's a, it's important to know, from the client what's going to satisfy them like what what's going to make them happier that they gave you the money that they gave you than if they still had the money yeah i think this starts to get into the territory of your taxi cab analogy yeah it's on my mind yeah you should probably save for another episode but i mean it depends i run into this all the time when i'm trying to think about analytics because you know the type of business i run probably would benefit from some level of the right kind of analytics and i just I, like i don't even know what to measure but if you, if you're a freelancer who's been hired to do a job like real clarity about why you were hired and and i know from direct experience that i have started uh billing clients <laughs> Knowing that, well, they wanted a, you know, a thing built, but never knowing why they wanted it built. I knew what they wanted built, but not why. Mm -hmm. Right. 
So you don't know in the, in that situation, the assumption is if I do what they say, they'll be happy, but that's actually not the case. If you do what they say, they won't be mad at you, but that doesn't mean that they'll be happy with the outcome. Yeah. Hu- huge difference. And in fact, sometimes it doesn't even go that well. Sometimes you do exactly what they say and they're ticked off because it didn't achieve some goal that they didn't tell you about. So, uh, the, I think the theme uh, of having continuous feedback to know if you're steering the right direction is critical. So whether it's on a project basis or if it's a long-term relationship with a client, being able to know that you are satisfied. It's like, so it sounds so dumb when I say it out loud, like to know that you're satisfying them, you need to know how to do it. And only they know, so you have to ask them <laughs> or you find out, you know, through conversations, you might be, you might be uh, very tactful and not just come straight out and ask. But if you don't know what's going to make them happier, then it's going to be really hard to, to confidently and repeatedly do that or to make anything about your process better that will more reliably deliver customer happiness. But here's the thing, you can't, I mean, it's not, so when I do a course, right, there's a, the, you know, there's a survey and I can sort of look at it. How can you find out from your clients, right, what, what you did? I mean, you can sort of feel it. Like there's certain things I know that explanations I gave, systems I had for, for making things work better. Um, at the same time, like, let's say things, we've all had, I assume we've all had clients where we were sort of surprised where things seem to be going great and suddenly they go sour, Mm. It would be nice to cut that off or find out in advance. So how can you check in with a client and find out how things are going to avoid that sort of unpleasant surprise? Mm. That's yeah. So there's, I think two. like thinking back to my history of when I was sort of newer at all this, there's two scenarios that, that this affects. One is you're ramping up to start, a really relatively clear, like defined project. So, you know, maybe you've worked on them before, maybe you haven't, but there's this big initiative, this something happened and they have to do this big thing. It's going to take months and they think you might be someone that can do it for them for whatever reason. You start to have a conversation about that. And that's what I talk about all the time with like the why conversation and talk them out of hiring you. And that way you'll find out if there's any value there, if you should even, take their money. And we've talked about that a lot, but there's this other situation that I think a lot of freelancers find themselves in where they just kind of turn into an external employee. They're kind of like staff hog and they're just sort of the web guy or whatever. And they're doing these tasks on a regular basis with a client. It's not like a big project. You know, they're just sort of a, a, a pair of hands that helps out with the, the technical stuff. I mean, maybe you're not changing printer paper, but you're probably updating their website and fixing typos and updating WordPress plugins or whatever the thing is. So I, I think the way to keep the liveliness in there and to get the feedback is on a regular basis, even when small tasks are, are assigned to you, to make sure you understand why, even if it's a not, I mean, it can't be micro task. It has to be like, you know, maybe it's every couple of weeks or something, or it could, it could be situational if you keep your eyes peeled for it, yeah, where somebody gives you something that's maybe, maybe feels a little too specific. Like maybe the client, you know, they don't know really that much about your craft, whatever your craft is. And they give you this instruction that's weirdly specific, like they've been researching it or something you know, online, but they don't really know what they're talking about, but they want you to do exactly this specific thing. And you just, when that happens, just say, Bob, that's like weirdly specific. Why, why do you want me to do that? You know, why do you want me to, I don't know, uh, implement this tracking code in this particular way or, or whether it's a, a Facebook pixel or, you know, embedding a type form or obviously I'm super web centric. So these, but the examples could extend to really anything, you know, like, a, like, like a, uh, um, someone who's getting professional photography done, suggesting how the photographer should arrange the lighting, something like that. And in that scenario, the photographer 
will probably normally get really annoyed. Like, I'm the expert here. I put the lights where I put them for a reason. No, no, don't look at it like that. It's an opportunity to say, why do you say that? Like, why would you, why would you suggest, uh, like, how to set up the lights and get at this thing where maybe they're, I don't know, embarrassed about their skin or, like, they think that they've got a good, oh, their left side's better than their right side and they read this article online that, you know, find out why they gave you this weirdly specific instruction and every time it happens, do it again. So every time they give you this, like they tell you how to do your job, basically micromanage you, you're like, all right, I can totally do that. I'm just curious though. Like, why do you want that done? And what that'll do, what that it's on a small, it's a very small scale. You're creating this sort of partner like vibe. It's not pushback, but it's kind of like pushback. It's like, yeah, I'm not going to just do what you tell me. Or it's not even that. It's like, because maybe you will just do it. But asking why and making it clear to them that you're there to make their business better. You just so happens that you do photography, you do web development, but you're there to make their business better. And you don't want to waste their money on stuff that maybe was, um, you know, that they was poorly researched on their part. I don't know. Does that make sense? Is that this, does that feel similar to the, kind of like the feedback you get from students? I feel like it does. You know, I, I was going to say, I, I think to add to that, a, a um, if, if you have an understanding of the outcomes you're trying to achieve, it becomes less about you, the freelancer and more about, working together with your client to achieve those outcomes. Like you can have a different kind of conversation. Um, it, the, the, it, it, it's like kind of the difference between like, do you like me? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm doing the things you said. I'm putting a checkbox in uh, Asana next to the stuff you assigned to me. Like, you know, like that's one kind of conversation that feels a lot like saying, do you like me or do you like working with me? And then the other conversation that I think is the one you want to be able to have is only facilitated if you understand the larger goal. And that's like, hey, so we've done these three things. I mean, yeah, I did them. You you asked me to do them, but we've done these three things. You can use we because mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's we trying to accomplish this thing of, uh, so, you know, what are you seeing? Is that, are you seeing an impact on your customers? Are you getting uh, positive feedback about these changes we made? Mm-hmm. So I think if you can naturally use we, like if it makes sense to use we in the conversation, it's going to be easier to get that feedback because now that person doesn't think they have to criticize you or say, well, you know, I really, I don't like that you use tabs instead of spaces, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> you know, it can, it can be about the end goal that you're both trying to work together to accomplish. Look, a lot of it is, and I think, I think when I was doing more consulting work, one of the things that I think, one of the reasons that I, I at least got the feeling that people wanted to work with me was to get the feeling that I cared. I cared about them. I cared about their business. I wanted them to succeed. They really, I, I, like, I gave the feeling I really am on your side and I, I'm part of the team here. Um, and so I guess there's a lot of sort of honing how you express that, right? Making sure that these things really come across, making sure that they know. And part of this is by being engaged and interested and in talking about their business, Right, I mean, whatever, and, and, and like, you know, as my advisor like to say, this has the advantage of being true. That like, whenever <laughs> yeah. I would go to a company that manufactures something, I am such a software guy, and I'm so impressed slash amazed by manufacturing. So like, I would say to them, can I, uh, you know, can, can you show me your warehouse? Can you show me how you manufacture things? What do you make exactly? Right, something like that. It was just amazing to me. And of course, they'd be like, wow, you really care about our, our business? Uh, yes, yes, actually I do. Um, and, but it also gave me greater depth and understanding so that I could, um, you know, dis- describe things better, define things better, work with them better in all sorts of ways. So you know, try, try to find those ways that you can demonstrate because it's not going to, like, that's the thing. You go to help a client, and you know you want to help them. You know you want them to succeed, because if they succeed, you succeed. Right? It's great for everyone. Um, but sometimes you have to express it explicitly. It's not inherently obvious at all. And learning how to do that and seeing what reactions you get from saying certain things is definitely useful. Mm. 
Yeah, it comes back to a common theme that that we bring up on the show all the time, which is communication. And uh, it's one thing, you know, clearly, well, maybe not clearly, but we certainly have said repeatedly that having, you know, in the course of a project, an ongoing collaborative project, it's important to have lots of conversation. And by lots, I mean probably daily through maybe a project management system, maybe not on the phone, but regular feedback loops, lots of communication. But I don't think we've talked too much about what you just brought up, Ruben, which is the quality and sort of empathy angles of the communication and, and just getting better at that, the soft skills of your job, really. I mean, if you're, if you're freelancing and you're not a people person, that's got tough situation. <laughs> yeah. I, I had a friend years ago who was in law school. He graduated a few years, college a few years before me. He was in law school. And he said, why do people say that lawyers are you know, good at interacting with people overall and computer people are not? He was like, both, in both professions, you sit in an office, right? And both professions you sit you know, in front of a computer, except for like trial lawyers, but we're not talking about that. And he said, the reason is basically that computer people typically interact with the others in their office all the time. And lawyers have to constantly be interacting with new people and new types of people all the time. And so they get better at it. And I, I've always thought about that in consulting. It's like I'm meeting new people all the time. And I have to be nice to them, decent to them, be interested in, like, be able to talk to them, not just be like, oh, show me your code, right? This chit-chat is not interesting. <laughs> that, that will win you no friends or clients. I remember... The, I, I don't remember where I read the article, but it might have even been a book that explained to my extremely logical, rational, Vulcan-style mind, you know, that chit-chat about the weather at the beginning of a meeting is critically important. In, and in the past, like when I was little, I was a gigantic Star Trek fan and literally wanted to be Mr. Spock. I had the haircut. I painted the eyebrows on. I had the rubber ears. <laughs> and and I was, I just was like, when I got older and was in the, in the sort of work world, that stuff used to drive me nuts. Like that sort of, that sort of five minutes of, of small talk at the beginning of a meeting, for example. Like, can we just, you know, like inside of driving me crazy. And I read something somewhere that explained that that was actually really important because, you know, it's, it's like a trust. You're looking for areas to connect in a very non-threatening way. And it's super important. And another, it actually reminded me of another thing I read was sort of uh, Benjamin Franklin's autobiography where he's evidently a brilliant guy and had no pay, did not suffer fools lightly. And he was just the most annoying person to be around at all times when he was younger. <laughs> and I think it was his father, but it was some, some mentor style person. Was like, Ben, everyone is going to hate you <laughs> if you, if you keep being like this and you're not and, and the problem with that, and he didn't care probably about that, but the, the real problem was, and you're not going to be able to achieve the outcomes that you want if everyone hates you. Mm-hmm. So, so use phrases like, you know, I think this, 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 I can remember saying to myself, why would anybody ever say, I think, obviously you think it, you're saying it. <laughs> right. And so I, would, so I actively eradicated that phrase from my vocabulary when I was younger. So I came across like a complete jerk. I'd just be, I'd just be pronouncing that things are true. <laughs> and I, 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 I'm sure the listeners will be like, you still do that. You jerk. But yeah, that's, that's why you want to consult things. complete. Yeah, totally. Uh, it's true. It probably is true. I'm sure there's a connection there, but the point is that the soft skills in a job like freelancing are instrumental in you can talk about continuous improvement. I mean, working on that stuff is probably more important for your business growth than getting up to speed on like the minutia of the latest web pack configuration changes, you know, as, as, painful as that might be to hear because boy those webpack configuration changes are fun to learn <laughs> i'm 
just I've been on mute the whole time, but I'm still laughing about the Spock ears. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I ordered them out of a mimeographed newsletter, if you can believe that. I remember ordering stuff out of the back of magazines too when I was exactly. a kid. Yeah, comic books. <laughs> anyway, there was a lecture when I was at MIT, um, and the uh, I took an intro to a psychology class. And at some point, the professor says, so there are a few different philosophies of life, right? There's like the Kirk philosophy, and there's the Spock philosophy, and there's the redshirt philosophy. And everyone starts like laughing <laughs> uproariously, except for this guy next to me. He's like, what's so funny? What's He's the only guy, like in this entire 500-person lecture, who has no idea what happens to the guy in the redshirt. Like, he gets killed every episode. Don't you know anything? <laughs> you know, these, these sort of common cultural... Uh, Memes that that you know you you can understand in certain circumstances and uh, go over other people's heads. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, I feel like I a broken mean, record for saying it, but I feel like um, I, I can't think of a lot of situations where you actually can improve if you're not doing something consistently. I guess that's my self-promotional. Uh, you know, message. You should really think about uh, narrowing down your focus if you're if you're operating as some kind of generalist, because uh, the the kind of variety and diversity that you'll you probably face in your client work means there, there's very few things that are truly repeatable. And and I'm I think there's a sense in which you can improve. Certainly, you can improve your soft skills, for example, or. Um, there are things you can improve, of course. Your 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 skills can improve, but how you apply those skills in a repeatable way that produces dramatic value is is the hard part. I think that gets easier when you when you do narrow down somehow. Specialists get better. Generalists get busy. Ooh, that's good. Thanks. I don't think I, I don't think I came up with it. <laughs> Any other hits? We've gone on this for a while, so for what we thought might be a short show, boy, yeah, yeah. we need to improve at that. Thus introducing you to the fantastic sense of humor my students enjoy every day. And that keeps me away from these folks to my children. Um, the perceived value is increasing as we speak. <laughs> Um, any other hints or suggestions or should we, we move into picks this episode is sponsored by Newbie Remote Conf Newbie Remote Conf is a two day completely virtual conference hosted by none other than Charles Max Wood if travel expenses are an issue or you just can't afford to be away from home for two days then join us it's virtual the conference is focused on people who want to keep up with the latest in programming or just get a leg up in getting a job and getting into the programming community. We'll have speakers from all over the programming community to help you stay current in a Slack room where you can connect with speakers and other attendees in real time. We'll also have a live roundtable video chat for attendees and speakers, plus we'll provide the talk recordings to you within days of the conference. Early bird tickets are available for $150 until May 12th, and the call for proposals is open until April 28th. So come join us at newbieremoteconf.com. Hints and suggestions, or should we we move into picks? Uh, probably picks, I think. All right, uh, Jonathan, you got anything for us this week? Sure. Uh, it, earlier in the conversation, the concept of what Oren Claff calls a cold read came up. Uh, I didn't mention it at the time, but and, and I won't spend time describing it here. But if you go to a podcast called The Art of Value and look for an episode called Learning the Art of Frame Control with Oren Claff. About halfway through, he talks about doing a cold read with a prospect, uh, which I think is super, just an amazing idea. Really, really turned a light bulb on over my head. And it has everything to do with focusing on a particular kind of customer. So uh, I would recommend checking that out. Uh, Another thing you could check out is... The one of the tiers of my book comes with a, a, an extra PDF called Learn Your Lines, which is, I think it's about 100 pages, it might be 75 to 100 pages of client scenarios where they sort of put you on the spot. You know, can we get a discount? Uh, how much do you charge by the hour? So on and so forth. 
And I have specific literal things that you can say back to them in those situations. There's it's probably a hundred, a hundred different situations. I'm not sure exactly, but there are quite a few. Uh, and I know that people love it. So if you check out, um, if you go to hourly billing dot nuts, <laughs> hourly billing dot nuts, that'd be awesome. Uh, <laughs> it would dot nuts would be a great TLD. <laughs> no, that URL actually is hourly billing is nuts.com and look for the, tier two, the complete package. And that has the learn your lines book in it with a bunch of uh, other additional bonuses. And that's it for me. Excellent. Philip, what you got? I suppose uh, I should pick uh, my my, uh, course on positioning. I do not, um, contrary to my normal advice, do not have a vanity domain name for that. That uh, is real easy to remember. I'll stick a link in the show notes. Um, of course, you can go to philipmorganconsulting.com, scroll all the way to the bottom. There'll be a link in the footer that takes you to a page where I uh, describe in accurate but persuasive terms <laughs> the content of this course and actually include an application. You can't buy it without telling me a little bit about yourself uh, because it's not right for everybody. So that's pick numero uno. Um, pick number two, just this past week, a guy in my positioning accelerator program told me about a very, a highly unusual uh, video conferencing tool that um, I'll be honest, I haven't used, but I think I got to pick it because it represents such an interesting take on uh, video conferencing. So maybe it's just me, but Every, including the one we're using to record this show, which is Zoom, every uh, like video chat tool. So I'm talking about Skype, talking about Zoom and everything else that I've ever used seems to treat video and audio as co-equally important. And therefore, people who are in a low bandwidth connection, you're like trying to lip read or something because... You know, their audio is six seconds out of sync with the video and like all of them to me seem to not degrade as gracefully as I would think. Oh, Google Hangouts. I'm looking at you too. So um, uh, Mila told me about this app called MeetSpace, M-E-E-T-S-P-A-C-E, MeetSpace.com. And it's very interesting because it's designed to uh, prioritize audio over video, especially when bandwidth is not great. It seems to be, it also has sort of eschewed adding on all the other features that um, these tools tend to add on. So there's, I think there's no chat. It's got keyboard shortcuts to mute yourself and turn video on and off, which is also a feature I've never seen anywhere else. And uh, so I I guess it's opinionated software and it comes at it from a, a very, uh, what I think is a, a potentially very useful perspective um, seems to be mostly designed for companies doing internal use for like standups with distributed teams, that kind of thing. Uh, again, have not used it. Uh, it's a paid thing. Um, and I, I think it's worth checking out if you, if you like me see these glaring flaws and all these other tools and just cannot understand why they keep adding features rather than uh, doing something simple like uh, making figuring out how to make a, a video chat degrade gracefully when there's congestion on the internet. Uh, that's meetspace.com. So those are my picks for this week. Very neat. So I've got uh, two picks. Um, so I'll start, I'll start uh, with my new thing. So by the time this uh, podcast gets out, it should be available, or at least the announcement will be up. Um, one of the big things that I do in my courses that I mentioned earlier, and one of the things that I, I find that people really want online um, is to practice, like lots and lots of practice. And I teach a lot of Python. And so I am launching a new paid service uh, called Weekly Python Exercise, where every Monday you will get a new exercise sent to you by email, and every Thursday you will get the solution sent to you. And it'll be on a variety of different topics. And the idea is this will sort of force you to improve your skills, improve your understanding. Um, and I basically have the topics mapped out, at least the sort of the general ones, but feedback is always welcome. So by the time this comes out, if you go to weeklypythonexercise.com, uh, you'll be able to learn more about it and sign up. 
the second thing is um, I'd heard about, I can't remember what it was called, but I'd heard many people give the suggestion that when you're a freelancer, it's really a bad idea to send email late at night to your clients because that gives them the sense, oh, they're always working. I can email them anytime. And I am horribly, terribly guilty about doing this. And I will often get comments from clients saying, really? You're up at 2 a.m. emailing me? And I can't decide whether they're impressed or horrified or both, probably both. So I know that there are tools, or I knew that there were tools to do this for Gmail, where it would send it later. And I said, well, I use Thunderbird. I'm sure there's something for that as well. And sure enough, there is. It's called Send Later, and it's actually from a friend of mine from college uh, who was a brilliant hacker then and is a brilliant hacker now. Um, so I definitely recommend people who use Thunderbird. I've tried this a few times now, and what do you know? It just works. It's incredibly flexible and really great um, and free, although it's nice to give them a contribution as well. So uh, information about both of those is in the show notes, of course, and uh, should be fun. Well, this was an exciting episode. <laughs> Yet another exciting episode, I should say. Uh, Phil and Jonathan, thanks a lot. But thanks to all of you for listening, and we will be back next week here on The Freelancer Show. Adios. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.